Hello, happy Wednesday. Welcome to this new episode of the Liquid Courage podcast. I hope you enjoyed the first one. Oh, and I hope you enjoyed the new series that I've been releasing. I released the first one last week, Never Have I Ever. The first episode was with Dustin George, who you might remember from the bonus episode of season one. So if you haven't checked that out yet, do that before or after this, whatever you want. Something else exciting from my life recently is I went to go see the Barbie movie. And don't worry, I will not say any spoilers. I hate spoilers, so I will not say them. You might be able to tell how I feel about the movie from my tone in my previous sentence. However, I will not give any spoilers. I just wanted to talk about the experience of going to the Barbie movie because it felt sort of surreal. So I went to the movie with some friends. There was about a handful of us. And we were all decked out in our Barbie attire. Pink as much as we possibly could. And we go to the theater and everybody's dressed in their Barbie attire and everyone's saying, hi, Barbie, hi, Barbie, hi, Ken, hi, Barbie, hi, Ken. It was cute. It it was very culty. I don't know. It was community. I don't know. But when I got into the actual theater, the actual cinema, the room with the movie screen, (laughs) and I looked around, it was a sold out theater. There were so many people. And I had sort of that same experience that you have when you're like out of the city and you look at the sky and you see all the stars and you realize like I am so insignificant in a comforting relieving way like I just I'm like I'm just one of the Barbie t-shirts among hundreds I don't know how many people were in the cinema but I am unoriginal in this way in this group right now and nothing is too huge of a deal to be catastrophic (laughs) I don't know it's kind of a half-formed thought in my head, but it was it was a really impactful moment. Partly it also, the, the fact that we all looked the same felt a little bit like an antithesis to the message of the movie, but I don't know. Who cares? I think I'm reading into it too much. Basically, what I'm saying is that everyone in that movie theater was a star, and I was just among them, looking at them. I don't know. Oh, but something disgusting happened. So I were watching the movie. It's dark, obviously. And I'm eating my popcorn. And I got um the the flavored powder, the pickle one. Mm. So I got that. But after a while, like my fingers were so full of like wet powder. It was kind of disgusting. It kind of turned it into like a paste where like at one point my fingers felt like they were glued together. And then I actually pressed them together thinking like, I wonder how hard I can make it to separate them. Anyway, I was going to get my friend beside me to try and separate my fingers, but I'm like, I'm not going to wait till the end. I'm not going to keep my fingers like this till the end of the movie to play that stupid game. That's silly. Anyway, I'm using the napkins from the movie theater to try and wipe off this like pickle powder paste. Uh, It's not working because they're like cheap napkins. It's basically just ripping off on my finger. Like when you see in movies when like men shave their face and then they put little pieces of toilet paper or Kleenex or whatever, like those are my fingers. But I remembered that I had some hand sanitizer in my bag. So I reach down, grab my hand sanitizer, and I'm trying to squeeze it into my hand and it won't come out. And I realize it's an unopened little bottle. So whenever I screw off the top and I'm trying to like rip off this the little seal with my fingers and I can't get a, enough of a grip on the little edge part. So I use my teeth, which I know you're not supposed to do. Okay, whoopsie. But I do that. And as soon as I do that, the vacuum seal got released and a huge glob, oh, I can still, a huge glob of hand sanitizer just glopped into my mouth and I am panicking but I want to be silent because I hate when people talk in the movie theater but I'm freaking out it tastes disgusting I'm in a bit of a panic I'm just like and I'm taking the napkins and like rubbing them on my tongue and I'm trying to tell my friends beside me so silently and also not distractingly that like I have hand sanitizer in my mouth it tastes disgusting even like the next day at a work 
Zoom meeting, I was using my microphone. I'm like, I think my microphone smells like cleaner or like something smells like cleaner. And they, and I realize I have Purell breath. Like I have hand sanitizer breath for the whole next day. It wasn't good. Something I've been doing recently that's been bringing me some joy is um, assembling Lego that I got as a gift. I have been experiencing some grief lately. I experienced a loss in my life that's been fairly recent. And actually, Georgia and I in this episode end up talking a bit about it. And so some people around me, some of my loved ones have sent me flowers, which has been so lovely and thoughtful of them. And two of my friends together sent me Lego flowers. They sent me Lego's uh, botanical collection, and it's called the Flower Bouquet. And it is beautiful. And it's a lot of pieces. I think it's like 750 pieces or something. So I've been slowly putting together like one flower every so often. And another friend gifted me this beautiful vase to put it in. (laughs) And especially when you're grieving, I don't know, sometimes I think it's ironic that then we give flowers that are then going to die and I have to throw out the dead flowers. (laughs) And there's something like weirdly ironic and cruel about that not to take away from the beautiful gift of receiving the flowers but this was just a cool spin like these flowers are never going to die and I can just keep them out on display like a little piece of art anyway let's get to the episode welcome to liquid courage the podcast where I Amanda Pereira Sit down with a fellow artist that I admire and ask them the questions I've never had the guts to ask them before. Sounds scary? Yeah, it really is. So I use a little liquid courage in the form of my guest's favorite drink. We cheers, chat, and connect as I attempt to soak up all the wisdom they have to offer. Today I sit down with Georgia Mappin and we drink some sparkling flavored water beverages. (laughs) Georgia is a producer currently based out of Melbourne, Australia with over a decade of experience developing advertising campaigns, original comedy and TV and film content. The short film she produced called Grace was nominated by the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts for Best Short Film Drama. More recently, Georgia teamed up with the sketch comedy group Auntie Donna, might have heard of them, as their executive producer and the general manager of their production company. Company, haven't you done well productions? You can watch Auntie Donna's award-winning show, Big Ol' House of Fun, on Netflix, and their most recent scripted series, Auntie Donna's Coffee Cafe, was released earlier this year on ABC. Georgia also oversees Auntie Donna's award-winning YouTube channel, Grouse House, where they create and distribute original content as well as local acquisitions. So Georgia is a general manager, an executive producer, and someone I admire immensely. God, I can't get over how legit your setup is and how gorgeous you look. Okay. Hi, Georgia. Superstar modeled. My um, voice just cracked <laughs> saying hi to you because I got so excited. I'm so happy that you're here today. Thank you for oh, joining thank me. You for me. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I'm my second pleasure. ever podcast in my life, I think. <laughs> oh, that means that I have listened to 100% of the podcast that you've been on so far. <laughs> oh, you listened yeah. to it. That was of a very course. long time ago. <laughs> I gotta I gotta do my research, Georgia. Oh, I Good loved job. it. I loved hearing your voice and oh thank you. I guess for listeners and viewers, I should preface that I know you a little bit, but not very well. But we are working on developing a series together. And from day one that like I got connected with you, my hands are getting sweaty. I just think you are so awesome. I think you are so talented. I'm just like, I feel so lucky to be working with you. So 
Um, I'm very glad that you're here today. Thank you. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. I'm like very quickly moving on to the next thing because I'm so nervous. Can you tell? I'm like not even stopping talking. Stop. Stop. I'm going to pop my drink if that's That's what I was. You read my mind. I I was like, just start off. Yeah. Can you crack it open? Okay. Mm. Nice crack. Lady sparkling apple water because it's 10 a.m. in Melbourne. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. Otherwise, it would have been a wine. <laughs> we'll do another one where it's no like problem. whatever it is, 8 a.m. my time, 10 mm. p.m. your time, and we'll do a wine then. I am doing um, – I made this sparkling water at home with my machine, and then I put in some blackberry flavoring. Fabulous. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right? No, I'm really excited to be here. I'm. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. That was very, oh. very flattering because the people you have on this – podcasts are just amazing and so to be asked to be among the ranks of um, your guests (laughs) is just really really nice but speaking of you know being impressed by amazing women I have always been impressed by you I am a producer who is constantly in awe of performers and people who put themselves out there on screen and on camera and you know to showcase your vulnerability through podcasting and just be so open and honest um, just about your own journeys of your career and your life and all of that I just am in constant awe of and I take inspiration of so thank you for having me because you're fucking rad (laughs) my god George I'm so sweaty now that was so (laughs) nice you know I wore shorts today because I always wear pants in my office and then I podcast and I get sweaty because I get nervous and I'm like today wearing shorts and thank god because that was so wonderful you are among the ranks yeah the guests on here are awesome and you are right there with them like I'm so glad to have you here and I guess to start off so you started in advertising producing and then now kind of moved more into scripted series and before we talk about your work as a producer I'm going to ask you a really annoying question but I I feel like it's really helpful to the audience so what does it mean to be a producer what is a producer's job that is such an annoying question and I feel like we got to start there (laughs) <laughs> you're yeah, not yeah it is <laughs> it is an annoying question no, <laughs> yep no it is it is but we got to do it I think what it means to be a producer is well the way my interpretation of what it means to be a producer is amplifying your talent it's um mm. you know it's finding the balance between I guess the creative and the financing and walking that very thin ledge of you know, the end goal, trying to find the end goal of getting it up and made on screen. To me, it's not about me. My job and my role in my world is about amplifying everyone around me and giving them a platform and um, helping them achieve their end goal, which is usually, you know, having something produced, having something on screen. Yeah, I think it's just about being a pillar of support and guidance and yeah, just offering your skills to someone who has, yeah, just put themselves out there and done that really hard job of taking those risks and believing mm. in themselves and, yeah, just helping <laughs> them get to get to where they want to be. That's, that's genuinely what I believe producing is. It's taking a backseat to talent and um, guiding them along their journey and, you know, achieving their end goals with them. Mm. Yeah, I, lo- I love that you mentioned, like, walking – finding that balance between the creative and then the like logistical or the financial. Mm. And I don't know, I feel like that can be such a nightmare when you have a a nightmare, not because of the people, but just that 
you know, sometimes budgets are small or dream, dreams are always big and, you know, and, and finding that line. And also that when you're working with creatives, they might not always know, and rightfully so, they might not always know what something costs. They might write a scene and not realize, oh, you just made that like that new scene you just wrote is three times more expensive than the scene you wrote before it. And so how do you kind of manage feels like um, a condescending word, but I don't mean it that way. Like, how do you manage the dreams of the creative with like the budget that you have with the expectations or the requirements of like funding bodies with the desires of the network? Like how, how do you manage managing all that? <laughs> like walking that line? <laughs> Never saying no. So I think, mm. you know, that's always the hardest part. And, you know, it takes inf inspiration from performing and improv, right? You know, you never say no, you never shut it down, you never block. <laughs> yeah. You know, Good job, yeah. Georgia. <laughs> oh, my God, you're a performer, too. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's what it is to me. It's never saying no. It's always saying um, yes and. <laughs> so it's always yeah. in the room. You read a scene, for example, when we were uh, in scripting phase for Auntie Donna's Coffee Cafe, which is a show mm -hmm. that we've recently uh, made in Australia. Uh, we originally took um, the first pass on the scripts and we read that there was a scene where the cafe fills with water. And it was right. a hilarious <laughs> scene and it was 100%, you know, Auntie Donna and it would have been great on camera, but we couldn't feasibly afford filling up our set with water. So it yeah. just was like, this is great. Let's look into it, take it offline, research how it would work if we did that idea, you know, really yeah. cement and validate the fact that we couldn't afford it first and then go mm. back in and be like, great, what's a creative uh, way we can adjust this so it comes back to being within budget without losing the essence of the comedy of the scene itself and without mm -hmm. shutting down the writers because shutting anyone down creatively is the opposite of, you know, what you want to do to get a good result. So, you know, mm. always making sure that everyone in the room has a voice. Every uh, investigation into achieving your common goal has been looked into and coming back and finding a compromise and a solution together. Oh, I love that. Yeah, the filling up with water. I wrote mm -hmm. a scene about the room filling up with water and very quickly I was like, maybe it's just like a bucket drops. Like, and yeah. even that, you're like, what place am I renting to to shoot this scene? Can I drop a big bucket of water? And you're like, hmm, what is the emotional equivalent of mm. it, it filling up? We can't all be James Cameron, you know what I mean? And like completely exactly. simulate the Titanic. Absolutely. It ended up being CGI bees. So it, it went from a room filling up with water and then now at the end of the first episode, it's wasps actually. So um, it was the same ah. idea. The joke mm -hmm. could stay the same. Um, or, you know, at least in a similar space. And uh, the thing that filled the room ended up just changing to something more affordable. That was the compromise. Yeah. I find personally, like, as a creative, when I'm writing or trying to think of something, I think maybe because I really, I have an A-type personality. I like budgets. I like logistics. I kind of love when it's like, this is too expensive. Because it's, it's really just coming up with creative solutions where, okay, where the stakes are the same and the emotional kind of like, journey might be the same but it's not going to be water what can it be like mm. I think that's such a fun challenge because if you come up with one great idea you are always going to be able to come up with another great idea and another great idea and another one so I don't know I find that kind of like creative problem solving it's sort of like a high I love I love that kind of stuff so, so yeah do I. I yeah know. and it's yeah. exactly that but all the time in everything <laughs> no, I was <laughs> 
every email, every single decision. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, it is finding a creative solution. I was talking to yeah. um, Mark the other day and we were just talking about a project that we we're working on. And he gave me like one of the best compliments I think I've ever received in my career. And he said, um, I'm always just so impressed with your creative producing like you were very creative with your producing and I thought that was really mm. cool because I've always mm. kind of called myself I guess a bit more of an opportunist but that has really negative <laughs> connotations yeah strangely but I do like mm. to look and you know leave no stone unturned when it comes to opportunities but he said no you're really creative with your producing you're not just a producer you're a creative mm. producer but not in the the other realms of creativity <laughs> it's just very creative with your producing and I was like that is a really nice thing <laughs> to say that and is I, a really nice compliment <laughs> well and I know you've spoken about like that you have a hard time kind of and this was a while ago this was on in the infamous podcast but you had spoken about how you kind of have a hard time calling yourself a creative that you don't see yourself necessarily that way is that still the case like I, I was I thought oh my god Georgia you're so involved in the projects that you create, like some of them are other creatives collaborating with you and joining with you. But you also have maybe like the equal number of projects where the creative like core seed of an idea was from you, like where you pulled in this story or this idea and said like, this should be a series. So yeah, I don't know. How do you feel nowadays with the idea of like you and the, the title creative. It's funny because when I did that <laughs> podcast, it was a, a long time ago now, but I was in mm -hmm. advertising and I felt very siloed from the idea of ever having creative involvement in my outputs in that industry. Whereas mm. moving over to longer form projects, working in the online space, executive producing and general managing a production company, I feel very involved. I feel very creative. I'm very confident Good. in saying that I'm a creative person now. Yeah, <laughs> Back then yeah and, in, <laughs> and in that industry, you are very, um, yeah, just siloed, I guess. You mm. are in charge of the budget and the schedule and you don't have really any input or say over the creative or typically creative elements whereas on this side and I guess like it's also the team that I work with as well mm. you know working with the Donna boys are, they're just amazing and they're so involved and they love everyone to be involved and they're so collaborative and mm. everyone gets to call themselves creatives here it's just it's really nice <laughs> mm. oh that's wonderful I'm so glad I'm so glad to hear that because I feel like I don't know that aligns more for how I see you as well. I'm like, uh, what the hell is she talking about? Of course she's creative. Yes, she's a creative. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like when I think about the different projects that you've created or that you've been involved in, I was just like reflecting on it before we were talking today. And I'm thinking like, okay, lots of comedy, but always like with a twist, like always with a, like a dark comedy or like a wacky out there comedy or horror comedy. And like, I'm curious for you when you think about your projects, like what kind of projects are you attracted to? What do you like gravitate towards wanting to invest all of your time and efforts and resources and creative producing into, into getting made? Yeah, I think here we we probably say very clearly it's comedy with edge. So comedy with a twist mm. is is mm. exactly how we like it. No, I it. like edge um, better than a twist. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not your typical commercial broad audience focused comedy. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, here we have our commercial broadcasters, Channel 9, Channel 10, Channel 7. We've never looked at our projects as really ever having the pathway to go towards those major commercial <laughs> right, broadcasters. Right. We don't even throw them out in our conversations because <laughs> our projects just are not 
are not that. They're not for an older audience, typically. They're more skewed towards the online space, which means you can take more risks. And they're more skewed towards a younger demographic who want typically things they haven't seen before. So we're mm. not focused on making, yeah, general comedies that live for a very broad audience. It's mm-hmm. typically niche. It's typically weirder. And, you know, it's typically projects that will find their audience, um, but then also have people that do not like them at all, you know, and that's fine. That's yeah. fine. Everyone has different tastes, um, but that's our focus. That's what I'm drawn towards. It's something that I haven't seen before. Something that we say in our development team here all the time is that we don't want to follow trends. We want to set them. You know, we mm-hmm. don't want to make the next Ted Lasso, even though that's what every, you know, commissioner is saying at the moment. Oh, we want the next Ted Lasso. It's mm-hmm. like we don't want to follow that trend because we'll already be two years behind it. You know, mm-hmm. we want to be the ones coming up and developing the next weirdest, wackiest edgiest ideas that you just haven't seen before because I think that's the most exciting part of TV when you find a show that is new and it's different and you tell all of your friends about it and then people come up and they watch it and then you talk about it like that shit is really cool and that's what I want to be doing and what I want to be known for and what I want this company to be known for because I think that's the most exciting part about this industry. Absolutely. I think too, it's funny because I, I feel like intuitively, I guess, like you think the broader audience stuff is easier and the niche more like comedy edge or comedy with an edge stuff is harder. But I actually think that's because of how we're taught to be as people. Because I think if you, I think the comedy with an edge stuff or anything, really just anything that's niche is just because it's super authentic to that creator and that creative team. And anything broad is you're trying to guess what people want, anticipate their needs and deliver it to them. But that doesn't mean it speaks to the core of who you are. And so really, if we were all just like embracing our brand of weird, we would be making you niche. I tried to say niche and unique at the same time. (laughs) Unique content. Uh, We would all be making unique content. So I love that. Like I think that, is actually easier if we get out of our own way and allow ourselves to be like to speak our own kind of truth or or speak from our own voice the niche stuff actually becomes easier and authentic and I think audiences pick up on that and I don't know I'd rather like somebody hate my show than forget it existed right after they watched it like I want to make some kind of impact you know 100 it's such a waste of time waste of resources waste of money to not make an impact I don't know it's just I was on Netflix the other day and I was like, everything is the same. I'm not excited by anything on here because it just feels so algorithmic where every show is, it feels very broad. It feels like they're all marketed in the same way as well, where like nothing has like a really severe point of difference and nothing Mm. is exciting. I just find that like I don't have the time anymore to be watching average TV. You know, if it sits in that kind of six and a half out of 10 on IMDb, like I'm not going to go watch it. It needs yeah, to be yeah. seven and above for me to be like, all right, I'm going to invest my time into this. Yeah, yeah. Or sometimes if it's a one, I'm curious. Yes. And I'm like, sure, <laughs> give me the one out of ten. For a different reason, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I watched like a, a, a three and a half out of ten shark movie the other night. And I was like, this is horrible. And like, I'm so glad I spent the last hour and a half watching this. Like this, the fin in the in the ocean, the fin went down into the water, but the CGI shadow stayed for way too long and then just disappeared. And I was like, this is That's, amazing. Yeah. Also, how did this get made? And like my random whatever movie that I wrote couldn't get made anyway. But yes, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, it's exactly that. But I like what you just yeah. said about 
it all coming back to like amplifying that authenticity because that's just mm. I think part of how I produce in general like my job isn't to sit here and tell someone how to make a show it's not hey you need to tick this box this box and this box to be able to get this made the mm. way that you know I like to produce here is to just take an idea in all its glory and all its imperfections and then find that concept a home not mm. to try and push a square peg into a round hole just to get it commissioned you know mm-hmm. like if you just want to make a tv show and you just want to get something on air yeah like don't pitch me because there are a million <laughs> other producers out there that'll be like great well these are the boxes you need to tick these are the people we're going to take it to this is how broad you need to be rework your creative into that framework whereas mm-hmm. I like to look at it as if the show is the show and if a broadcaster likes it, they like it, you know, and if they mm-hmm. want to take a risk, they're going to take a risk on it. We all kind of have the same opportunities. It's just whether we want to focus on being authentic to ourselves, being authentic to our projects and amplifying what we want to make rather mm-hmm. than um, what we think commissioners want to buy. I think there's two trains of thought with it. And I think I, yeah, I focus more on that creative side of things and protecting creators and their vision rather than forcing them into doing something that they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Just to get just to get something made. That's exactly. so interesting because I think that's a really and I'm just speaking like from my experience or friends like it's a hard space to be in to know when to compromise, when to not, when to be like, OK, well, I'm going to stick to this even if it means the funding goes away maybe somebody else because you don't know if another funding body will come along and you hope that they do you hope that the, another one and the right one comes along but like that that can be scary and I would imagine it might be scary for creatives that you're working with if you're like listen we don't need to compromise this if they want to go with it they will and if they don't see the vision they'll walk away mm. it's gutsy and it rings so with like such integrity like I want to be like yeah fuck get that tattooed on me like I want to <laughs> go that way and also I'm like uh, sure you want me to um, make it bees I'll make it all bees there'll be no water I will never drink water again it will be bees if you'll give me money to make the show did you always like did you always have that conviction that gutsiness that in like that sense of integrity or did that come with experience and time and producing it's funny I think I did because I just think back to the moment that I had a meeting with a probably one of the biggest executive producers for one of the biggest independent Australian production companies in Australia. He wanted a series of mine that I had developed with my father before he died. And it was very close to my heart, obviously. It was, you know, kind of how I got through my grieving process. It was a dark comedy about cannibalism. And he wanted it. And we met and um, I had lunch with him. And we sat in this meeting, me and my business partner, who was an older male, and the executive producer at the company did not look me in the eye the entire time. He only spoke to my business partner, even though it was my show, from my father. He would ask questions, I would answer them, and then he would speak directly to my business partner. I did not exist in his mind. The young woman in the room was just not someone worth speaking to or even looking at. It was horrifically demeaning, I think, you Mm. know, and in that moment, I think I was like 24 or 25, I was like, fuck this guy. I don't care who he is. 
I don't yeah. care what power this guy comes with and how he could get my show made. I could probably get it up in a year with this guy. But honestly, fuck this guy. He can't look at me. He can't talk to me because I don't mean anything to him. I don't know. I don't even understand what the motivation was. <laughs> but he only spoke to the other white male in the room. And um, from that moment on, I was like, no, he doesn't get my show. And I went with a different production company and it didn't get mm. made. And I don't <laughs> feel regret about that. I don't. I don't feel upset. I don't feel like I made the wrong decision. I feel like if I did give the show to him, my dad would probably roll in his grave because I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I went against kind of what I believed in. And, you know, if there was anything my dad did teach me, it was don't fuck with people that uh, don't look at you don't talk look to at you, you. i was gonna say you. <laughs> don't even yeah like, acknowledge your existence i think that is like such a um an amazing gift to instill like trust your gut instinct in this like if you feel off with this person period like that's it yeah. that's good because you're right even if he could get it made in a year that's gonna be a long year and what is that show yeah. gonna look like a show can change so much from like an idea even a finished script to like the end product can change so much and you really have to like well you know I mean you're the person people are trusting with their you know you have to trust the right person to take this baby and help it grow with you and so yeah and I did not trust him and I've seen shows he's done since and yeah they've not been great and each each show he makes now it kind of validates that decision that I made in knowing that I made the right choice because mm -hmm. I think he would have changed it completely just to get it up. He would have turned it into something that the commissioners wanted just because he wanted to sell it, not because he believed in the concept of the vision. He just believed that he could make money off of it. That was the vibe mm -hmm. that I got. And I was like, that's just not someone I want to partner with. And then when I started mm -hmm. doing it and started doing this role, I was like, yeah, that's that's never what I want to instill with the people around me because everyone around me is so talented, uh, has mm. brilliant ideas. They just don't know how to get it made. And it's like, I know how to get it made, but I'm not going to, yeah, change that vision because that is what makes you so good, that vision. And mm. someone will buy it. I just believe that good ideas will get bought. You just have to sell them in the right way. Yeah, you don't need to change everything just to uh, get something up, even if it's the quicker option. I think it's the lazy option. Genuinely do. It's kind of like the lazy option. Change this yeah. and this and it'll get up. And it's like, yeah, that might be easier. But yeah, I don't think it's better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm realizing as you're talking, I'm like, wow, this also sounds like dating. It's like you could change yourself so that the person you're on a date mm. with likes you more. And it's probably easier and you might get married quicker if that's the goal. But you're going to feel like crap. Mm. Maybe just stick to who you are and know that the right person's. I don't know. I'm like, wow, this is like a dating. This could be dating advice, too. <laughs> As two people in long-term relationships, <laughs> let's give dating advice. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm yeah. Something I learned about you in my research that I did not know was that, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know, mm -hmm. the internet could be wrong. It says in 2016, you worked production on Australian Survivor. I did. I did. <gasps> I lived in Samoa for three months on the first season of Stop. Australian Survivor. Mm -hmm. Are I you know. kidding? Look, people always get so excited, especially if they're big Survivor nerds, which is awesome. Yeah, such a reality oh TV fan and survive. Oh no, but no, bad. <laughs> it was the oh worst no, job what? of my life. Amanda. Was like, it literally? I was gonna be like, what was that like? I did, and I didn't realize you were on life. location. <gasps> yeah. Why was it? Um, was it the people? Was it the location? It was an extremely toxic work environment. 
Oh, no. And I don't know how much I can talk about it because I've probably signed my life away in an NDA. So fair. Yep, yep, yep. So fair. So fair. <laughs> but, yeah, I try and take silver linings from every terrible job I've ever had in my career. And I would say my biggest takeaway from that job is learning a lot about how not to run a production company. Mm-mm. That says it all. I thought you were going to be like, the silver mm. lining was that it ended. <laughs> like my, <laughs> that too. My last day came. <laughs> Look, <laughs> <laughs> the disposability in broadcast TV, I think, is one of the most toxic things that uh, exists in this industry. And it's not something that I would ever, you know, like recommend to anyone as something that you have to have to do to make it. The people that I worked for on that show were, yeah, toxic is probably the clearest way to put it. I experienced a lot of emotional um, uh, manipulation. I would even come down to say, you know, it was like abusive in a way, you know, like I had people, this production manager, and she clapped in my face, like full on clapped in my face because I was giving her attitude because I said I didn't want to come back for a season two, like <laughs> The entire season, they go, they go, "Mm, well, if you don't do this, like, we're not going to ask you to come back for season two. And it was like that the whole way through. It was just that we've got power over you. We've got something that you want. And if you don't do this, then you're not going to get it. I was like, the day that I was like, fuck it, I don't want to come back for season two if this is what it's going to be. They lost all power over me. And then I had a much better time, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) It was was at the end. So, you know, I wish I realized it sooner. But yeah. Goodness me. Not something I recommend mm-hmm. working in reality broadcast TV. In reality. Well, and was it like, I'm always curious, like, was it less real or more real than you expected it to be? Since like Survivor oh. was already a show before then. You know what I mean? Was it, were you going in being like, I don't think this is real. And then you're like, oh, wow, this is actually very real. They are cooking rice over a fire. It was really real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called Fly on the Wall Producing. And I was shocked by that because I assumed it would be very like heavily produced, but it's not. It's guided and stories are guided because, you know, you have to build them in the back end and in the edit. But very, very light touch. I thought it was um, very cool to see because I've Mm -hmm. heard stories from other shows, which are very much the opposite and very involved from the producers. And it's very... um, unethical in how they get Mm. their stories out and I have seen that firsthand on other series that I've worked across the ethics are very questionable in that space I would say there's (laughs) like that I don't know if you've seen that scripted series and I'm forgetting what it's called now but it's a scripted series yes is is that Mm. about like the crew making like a bachelor kind of Mm -hmm. show yes oh I loved I didn't I actually I didn't see all of the episodes but I watched the first like six or seven I think and I just thought oh this is so dark and so good Mm. yeah I mean there's a reason why like now on so much reality tv it's like you have to have on-site therapists for all of the contestants which I'm also like "Mm." But who are the therapists working for? Anyway, love reality TV, <laughs> trying to cons- – that is my one thing I talk to my friends about, like, let's consume it ethically. What does that mean? How do we do this? I know. Mm. I don't know if there's a way. I don't think there is, genuinely. I think when you're dealing with real people, yeah, and you're trying to get millions of views and that's the goal, then mm-hmm. your tactics are probably going to be exploitative. Yeah. It's like literally the opposite. It's literally what we were just talking about, about like that shouldn't be the goal. Yes. Should be. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Let's talk about something that aligns Mm -hmm. with your heart and you much more than reality TV is working with Auntie Donna. Okay. So in the last few years, 
And I'm realizing I know it was during COVID, but I don't know exactly when because the last three years seem like one long day or something. <laughs> so you are now the executive producer for the sketch comedy group Auntie Donna and the general manager for their production company. Haven't you done well productions? I love the cheeky little wit in that production company name. So how did you get involved with working with Auntie Donna? Like, how did that come about? It's funny. I It's like it's been a very long journey the way I look mm. at it. I think the boys are like, oh, we've known Georgia for a year, but I've known Donna for over 10 years. I've been a huge fan of them for 10 years now since they did their first Fresh Blood series on the ABC. I did one similar on SBS, which are two um, non-commercial broadcasters in Australia. And they kind of had like emerging talent like platforms where you could just do open pitching at the time. And yeah, Auntie Donna did one and they released a video called Bikey Wars and it was a long time ago and I remember watching it and just being like, these guys are fucking hilarious and I love them. <laughs> and I just kept up with them for years. I went to all their shows, huge fan. And then I started working at an advertising production company and I got paired as a producer with a director that worked in Melbourne. And so I was in Sydney at the time and I got a call from one of the EPs saying, hey, can you come down? We're doing an ad. You'll be working with like our in-house director and his name was Max Miller. And we called each other and I was like, hey, mate, like, oh, you know, tell me about yourself. You know, we're going to be working together <laughs> quite closely. What do you do in the background? Like is advertising isn't the only thing when you're in advertising, usually, unless you're like a career advertising focused person, you usually have something else that you're doing. And I was like, what, what else do you do? And he was like, oh, I'm in a comedy group called Auntie Donna. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? I am so <laughs> starstruck right now. World. I am a <laughs> huge fan, Aww. huge fan. And he was like, oh, like, really? Like they weren't, they weren't huge at the time, but they were, you know, doing shows and doing their thing. And this was way before Netflix and way before selling out world tours and coffee cafe and all of that. And yeah, I was like, oh yeah, just a huge fan. I'm watch all your YouTubes, like whenever they're up in Sydney, I watch them. Yeah, like really cool wow. to be working with you. And then we worked together for a few years at that agency. We both left and then I just kept, you know, pulling Max in for jobs at other agencies that I worked at because I, I really enjoyed working with him. We had a really good working relationship. And then I came down to Melbourne. I moved down to Melbourne before COVID and worked across a few different companies and then I EP'd a, a smaller advertising production company got Max in and then he emailed me one day and was like hey I know you're really happy at your job <laughs> at the moment as an EP um, but we're looking for one would you have any recommendations <laughs> and I and I was like I sat there for ages being like, is he asking me for recommendations yeah. <laughs> or is he asking me if I'm available? Like, yeah. would I be interested? And I like just went completely imposter syndrome kind of moment. I was oh. like, he's not asking me. He's asking <laughs> if I knew anyone that was better that mm. I could recommend to him. So I called him and I was just like a bit sheepish about it. And I was like, oh, would you be open to me coming in and having a chat with you guys and meeting everyone and interviewing. And then he was like, oh my God, of course, I would love for you to come in. Like, please, like you would be great. <laughs> and I just like felt this huge sense of relief being like, oh no, okay. That would be really nice. So I came in and I interviewed, I think my first interview was over Zoom with the boys because they were on tour. No, it was in person and there's six of them. And that's, that's a lot really of people intimidating. To so, yeah. But they, they had the forethought for that and they split it up. 
and they did three and three, so two interviews. And my first one, I did it in person with Sam, Zach and Max. And I obviously knew Max, but I hadn't met Sam before. And I'd met Zach very briefly at Max's housewarming one year. Did the interview and I was really nervous and it all went really well. And then Max was like, come back and do a second one, meet the rest of the boys. And then that was on Zoom because the rest of them were on tour. So Tom, Broden and Mark. And the night before that interview, Max was like, hey, um, we have a bunch of questions, you know, like how would you run the company? What what do you see like our brand doing long term to generate revenue? Like how would you do this? And I sat oh. there that night and I started writing up. I mean, yeah, pretty last minute, Max. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, I'm like, <laughs> like oh, my God. Before. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. night before he sent me those yeah. questions. And I sat there and I was like, I could just speak to them or – I could use my 10 years of experience in pitching, <laughs> pitching mm. for ads, pitching for shows, building decks, and I could just build a fucking presentation. So I like went in and I built like a whole Google Slides and I did all this research about all of these companies that I would compare, what our growth would look like towards, um, how I would build revenue, how I would, you know, elevate the Auntie Donna brand, how I would establish the Haven't You Done Well brand, all of this. And then that next day I presented it and I was like a cartoon character with my nerves. I was shaking <laughs> so much. I was like, you know, you lift a glass of water and it's like, sh- it's going all over you it's because like you're so nervous. It's like water falling all was, over you. Yeah. That was how nervous I was because <laughs> I'd never put myself out like that, like out there like that. I'd never put so much effort into an interview. I don't think I slept. Tom, my husband called me a monster because I was just so like <laughs> stressed and angry and I kind of, <laughs> and then I did it and um, it all sounded really good. They kind of gave me, they didn't give me that much, but the, yeah, a couple of days later, Max called me and he was like, you got the job, here's the offer. We went back and forth a bit and then, yeah, I said no. <laughs> I turned them down. Did you really? Yep. I turned them down in my first go and then that night... I turned them down because I was having a weird moment between because I just recently become a mother at the time mm. as well. Like I'd, I had a 10 month old baby oh. and I had a full time job. I had like full time employment and then moving over to Donna, it would have been a 12 month contract um, mm. with the option to extend beyond that. And at the mm. time I was like, wow, it would be so selfish of me to give up secure work to take on a short term contract for something that I think is more aligned with my goals. And I went really, like I beat myself up about wanting it because I was like, Mm. oh, it's not just about me anymore. It's about my daughter and my family. And that is a really Mm. selfish decision. And I just kept saying that. I was like, it's really selfish to want that. And I was just so mean to myself looking back. And then that weekend I went to a comedy show. I went with my friend and I was like, look, it's my dream job, dream job to work with these boys. I've been such a fan of them for so long. It's exactly what I want to be doing in this industry. And then she was like, you're not being selfish, dude. Like you're beating yourself up. You're putting way too Mm -hmm. much pressure on that. You're calling it your dream job. If your daughter came to you and said she's got her dream job on the table, but she's afraid of like giving up a full-time secure role for a shorter term contract, what would you tell her? And I was like, no, I'd tell her to go after a dream job. And then she was like, yeah, it's exactly that. It's exactly mm-hmm. that. You should follow your own advice. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you're right. And then I called Max on Sunday and I was like, if it's still open, I would really like <laughs> to take it. And he was like, yeah, it's still open. And then, yeah. He's like, what was... mixed messages too. It's like, here's this beautifully prepared, like clearly I gave a shit and I like put together this presentation. I'm going to turn you down. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I'm coming back. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's not self, it's leading by example. Like, a hundred percent, I agree with your friend. If your daughter was like, this is my dream job, but what if other people, like, like, what if it hurts other people? Mm. It's actually going to help. It's going to show her, like, look, this is what you do. Like, you go after the thing, and it's possible to go after the thing, and it's worth it, and you deserve it. Like, I think, I don't know, I, I tell some of my mom friends if they're feeling guilty about things, I'm like... Uh, the best thing you can do for your kid is like take care of your mental health or like go after your dreams, like show them how to treat themselves by treating mm-hmm. yourself that way. I think it's like such a gift to your daughter that you're like, yeah, I'm going to go after my dream job and my daughter's going to get to grow up watching me like kick ass at my dream job. Like that is amazing. That is yeah. so fucking cool. I love that. And the same way my dad taught me to have that integrity about my career and what I Mm. decided to do and following my gut and everything like I want to give that to Arlo as well and just show her that you know she can do whatever she wants and she should listen to her gut and trust herself and follow her dreams and I think that was the best gift he ever gave me I would love to give that to her as well yeah that was part of it so yeah that was how I started with them and then that was yeah probably like over a year ago now and now we're partners and <laughs> we, you know, work on three brands together, which is really cool. And I love every minute of it. Mm. I wonder, like, because you had so much experience working, you weren't new to the industry when you became a mom. Like, you had already been working there for so long. So how did becoming a mom make you look at the industry, like, the way that it works differently? Or did it make it make you look at it differently? And, like, oh, why do we do it this way? Or, like, this is not helpful. Or this is this is, makes it so much harder for, like, humans to be humans. Or, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm curious, like, how becoming a mom shifted your perspective on the industry the entertainment industry is like a workforce or if it did it didn't at all Mm. yeah it just didn't encroach Mm -hmm. on anything and if anything it gave me more confidence in kind of who I was and what Mm. I was capable of but it didn't really influence or affect how I saw my career or yeah this industry in any way yeah just very I think I silo it a little bit as well I think you know parenting is parenting and your job and your career is in a completely separate realm and they don't really cross over all that much. I mean, sometimes Arlo comes into the office when she's homesick, Aww. But, Aww. but that's, that's so it. Sweet. There's not yeah. much crossover at all. I was listening to this podcast where um, I think it was Julia Louis-Dreyfus and she was saying, I think it was her. Oh, I'm forgetting. Anyway, where they were saying basically like they were working with this director who wanted to be home for their kid every day at six. And so the entire scheduling was... Like, I'm home for dinner. Like, I don't care. That's what the scheduling of this series is. And she was like, I I think her kids at that t- time were, like, grown and whatever. But she's like, I had never – that wasn't even an, an idea that popped into my head that that was a thing we could do in the industry. And I just – I think because this industry is primarily or has been primarily run by very similar people a similar type of person for a very long time it's kind of set up to 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 function for that person for a older cis white man and it works for them and I think sometimes it takes somebody else being in charge to be like no actually the way that we're running things like doesn't make sense so I'm gonna and and there's no there's no like reason to do it that way it's just because we've done it that way I tell you what I was I was terrified coming into this job as a parent like I hadn't Mm. You know, just coming out of COVID, it was still like an adjustment phase, but it was COVID and coming back from maternity leave, which was Mm. all very new to me. And I knew I was walking into a situation where it was me and six men. You know, I did not know five 
out of the six of them like I knew Max really well but <laughs> whatever that five, percentage is, is yeah terrifying. <laughs> yeah the other five were very new new friends and mm-hmm. walking in as you know a, someone in a very senior position and then also being a mum and then at the time also having a daughter who had health issues that mm. pulled me away from work quite often and also being in a writer's room for a new ABC show. My first day with the boys was the first day of the writer's room. Oh, my that God. Show. So I was just kind of like thrown into it. It was like, hey, catch up on, you know, 15 years of interpersonal relationships with Auntie yeah. Donna. Um, catch up on how to run a production company. Catch up on EPing a new TV show for the ABC. It was huge and then that following week we were also shooting another series for grouse house which is our second youtube channel Mm. Um, so it was a lot all at once and that plus the fact that arlo was getting sent home from daycare almost every single week uh made me terrified that yeah i was going to be looked down on uh, because i was a mum. so i was very Mm. fearful of that and Mm. then you know that started happening because it was already going on and i told the boys they knew i was a parent i had a young child i walked in and none of them had kids so that was even scarier. You know, you can't yeah. really empathize. One was about to have one, so on the journey, but mm. hadn't actually had it yet. And they were, I was so shocked in the best way possible in how understanding mm. and supportive they were throughout that entire journey. I couldn't have honestly survived without them at that mm. time because, you know, every single week it was a phone call from daycare. You have to go home. You have to pick her up. Everyone here was pushing huge hours trying to get stuff done for the show when I was out, I was leaving. I was, you know, still working from home and keeping up to date with it all. But I was so terrified that they would look down on me for that. And no one ever did. No one ever Mm. said anything. I don't think anyone here would have even thought a negative thought about it. It's just Mm. life. And I think that's Mm. how we should be about balancing our kids and our workload and all of that. They're both very important things, but they come hand in hand you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I thank them all the time for just being so gorgeous and understanding, like it's crazy. But Aww. I was very pleasantly shocked that that was my kind of first foray into kind of having to find that balance. And to mm. have them on my team is really cool. Oh, that makes me even bigger fans of them. That's <laughs> so wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, and like another and mostly when I ask other moms is also because I'm like, I'm a creative and what if I want kids that it some a lot of the aspects of it scare me and like how do those two things go together and so it's just I really appreciate hearing experiences from every mom who works in this industry like I I really value and and hold tight to your experiences and yeah it helps me feel like oh if I want to do it maybe I could actually do it because in the beginning I think I was like I don't know how to ever have a kid in this industry I like it's gonna have to be either or and I see so many examples of like no it doesn't look at all of these like brilliant moms brilliant creatives brilliant human beings having brilliant lives like they are all the things and it's just yeah so it's it's really wonderful to to hear and I I you shared with me actually that you went through another big like change in your life recently, which I would love to ask you about. So you shared, and I don't know anything past this, but you shared that you had recently started the process of getting diagnosed as an adult with ADHD and with PTSD. And like I was, you know, it was in text, so I was reading it and it just seemed so like, oh yeah, so I don't know if that's of any interest. I'm like, what? This is so, so interesting. So what led you to seeking diagnosis for one or both or whichever you want to share about? I would love to hear about about both I'm so interested I'm not ashamed to say it but it was TikTok (laughs) you know that Georgia can I tell you TikTok has 
Yes. No, I am with you. So many things. My friend was just telling me the other day, he's like, I think I have ADHD. And I'm like, TikTok? He's like, TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah I TikTok. Mean, definitely not a diagnosis, but it led me to think about it more and realize that maybe it wasn't as normal as I thought it was. I'm, I've always been a hyper anxious person my entire life. I started having panic attacks when I was 12. And yeah, just a few things started resonating on TikTok and I was like, oh, maybe, maybe. And then I was in couples therapy at the time and I mentioned it to my couples therapist and she was like, oh yeah, look, that sounds like something you should probably look into. Mm. Um, like all of those things that you've mentioned are very key pillars. And then I went to a, got diagnosed through a psychologist did all the exams and it wasn't a question either like I think it was something like oh you know if you get 60 out of 100 it's an indicator that you might if you get 70 out of 100 it's you know pretty pretty solidly that you are and then it's like if you get 80 and above it's 100 percent that you have it and then I got like 84 and 86 on two types and it was very (laughs) very much clear yeah yeah and and then it was like, yep, that's, yeah, that makes sense. Just, I got medicated for it. The medication has been the best thing that's ever happened to me. Mm, I I'm so glad to hear that. I'm clearer, I'm less anxious. I don't have all the struggles that I used to have. I'm not as angry. I used to be mm. so angry. The dishwasher didn't get done and I just outburst. Just so mad all the time. <laughs> Dinner's not, oh, like, oh, so overwhelming. Every little thing is so overwhelming. Mm. And I don't feel that anymore, which is great. It's made me clearer and more focused at work instead of just like super scattered. And then it also led me to getting the PTSD diagnosis, which I didn't realize. I didn't know that one as clearly Mm. as I kind of like understood the ADHD. That was just very like, oh, it's this. Here's your fix for it. And I was like, great, that's easy. It's not Mm. a part of like who I am as a person. It's just kind of like my makeup is a bit different and I take medication for it and it's it's good now. Yeah, that's fine. It's not it doesn't it's not like a part of my personality or anything in any way. The PTSD was a really interesting one because I didn't realize that I went through like years of grief therapy after my dad died. He died very suddenly when I was 24. So six or seven years ago now. And it's just kind of fucked me up a bit. I think Mm. it's probably the easiest way I can put it. I have been very fearful of um my feelings towards it for the last couple of years and yeah it turns out that's just that's a ptsd thing (laughs) it's Mm. like Mm. people kind of throw around the word trauma very easily but yeah this is uh, something that i've been wrestling with for like seven years and just not really understood it it would just like kind of like be this monster inside of me and then something will happen and it'll get triggered and then i'll feel like i'm physically there in the moment that i found out and mm. yeah, it turns out that's PTSD. I was watching, <laughs> I was like watching, that's how recent it was until kind of like I, I really understood it. But um, episode four of Succession, spoiler alert, or episode three, essentially the Logan episode mm. Mm. in mm-hmm. um, the final season, that probably was the biggest trigger I've ever experienced mm. because they find out in the same way that I found out. Mm. Same kind of death, just intense heart attack. The moment that Shiv is like, Daddy, I I had just this full PTSD reaction. I had a full panic attack. I was crying. I was like in fetal position watching that show. One of my favorite shows, like everyone. (laughs) And yeah, it was just a huge reaction. And then I mentioned it to my psychiatrist and he was like, 
yeah, yep, that sounds like a pretty severe PTSD reaction. Mm. And then kind of, you know, talked me through it and was like, you should probably go seek help for that. And I'm also not ashamed to say that I haven't seeked help for it. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's something that I'm still quite afraid of. I'm not there yet. I'm still balancing out a few other things, you know, with the mm-hmm. ADHD and all of that kind of space. And PTSD is something on my list, but I have not um, mm-hmm. gone down the path of getting that sorted. I did years of grief therapy. I thought I was good. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think it's something that you can fix. I think it's something you can manage and be aware of, but I don't think it's something you can fix. I think it's just something that you have to live with. Mm-hmm. And that's also hard to reconcile with. Yeah, the like it might not be exactly like right now forever, but that it is always going to be there is something mm. like the resistance to accepting that I can totally I can totally understand. And I and it makes sense that it's um um you know, a mountain like it just seems so because it because like you had said with ADHD it it sounds like your experience with it is like oh great I like learned about myself I learned how my brain works and like oh cool for the things that I'm struggling with as a result of that there's a pill and like it happens to really help me and that's awesome and for PTSD it's like the work isn't going and finding the right pill for it, you know, or like adjusting a, a, a prescription and working with the doctor to make sure that it's the right prescription for you. It's like, especially since you've already done the grief therapy, I'm sure it's also like, well, what the, I already did the thing. Like, aren't, aren't I, what the hell? <laughs> like, yeah, it is a lot. Yeah. Of that. There was, um, and just recently I watched um, someone that I work with quite often uh her name is michelle brazier she's an amazing australian comedian from melbourne she has a show on paramount plus called average bear and that live show is all about her own relationship with her trauma and her grief she lost her her brother and her dad quite quickly in succession and her take on grief was the only one that i've ever resonated with since losing my my dad but her view on it is it's it's that kind of similar space it's not something that you need to overcome it's not something you can overcome it's something that you can get a better understanding of um, Mm -hmm. but it's something that's going to be with you forever so you may as well embrace it as part of you not be afraid of it and silo it away it's something that you can acknowledge and respect for what it is Mm. and hearing that and watching that show changed my entire perspective of it because it was always something that I was afraid of it was always something that I I would push down and push away and not want to accept in any way and then I would have these outbursts and these reactions to triggering things and I wouldn't be able to control them and then yeah watching that live show from Michelle just changed my entire view on it I cried for like a couple of days Mm -hmm. after watching it like I just let it come I let myself cry and I let myself feel all the feelings and I feel much healthier because of it I do and Mm. I think I like have such great respect and you know thanks to Michelle for you know making that show because it just Mm. it really really changed my entire outlook on it and it's done that for a lot of people which I think is really cool because I don't Mm -hmm. think we talk about grief enough I don't think we do I think we're all Mm -hmm. as you know as the human collective is all just very afraid of death we don't like to talk about it we don't like to know about it it's sad and it's scary but I think if we did it more and we embraced it more, we we might not be as fearful of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the journey I'm on with my own PTSD and grief at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it'll all be fixed or ever get fixed. I think it yeah. will um, always be a part of me and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, and at least talking about 
death more and grief more, especially grief more with each other. Even if the fear doesn't lessen, at least everyone will be less alone in their fear and less like Mm -hmm. siloed in their fear and less Mm -hmm. like we can both just be like, I'm really fucking scared of my loved ones dying instead of, Mm -hmm. and you can be like me too, (laughs) instead of me saying it in my head or or being Mm -hmm. like, no, that's never going to happen because when it does inevitably somehow in your life, then it's going to. I guess, I guess I guess then it's like I don't want to be alone in that in that space. So let's bring some people in now. It's a universal experience. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It is. You know, we all go through it. We all will go through it. Yeah. So the fact that we don't talk about it at all is yeah, surprising to me. I know. I think it's a very cultural thing. I guess cultural to North America and Australia. Let's just link, <laughs> you know. But there's so many similarities between like yeah, cuz I I do think that there's other cultures that see it differently and don't see it as a fearful as much mm. or embrace it more that it's more a community experience than an individualistic experience someone said to me like that with grief like we often say oh it'll you know it'll get easier just time will make it easier and someone said to me like it doesn't it doesn't go away get easier you just get more used to carrying it like your muscles get stronger or you just get used to the weight that it is on you. And so you're more capable of, of holding it, but it doesn't dissipate necessarily. You, you, you don't overcome it. Yeah. That's, that's my take on it anyway. Yeah. You don't, yeah. Overcome. it's not something that you overcome. You just mm-hmm. carry it with you and learn to carry it with you. You get better at that part. You get better at learning to carry it with you. Yeah. The more exactly. experience you have carrying it. But yeah, it never goes away. It never leaves you. Mm-hmm. Has getting both of these sort of like diagnoses or these like being able to name these two things that you have experienced, you just maybe haven't like conceptualized or named in the same way. Has getting those diagnoses or naming it like has it brought you relief? Has it because I, yeah. I think people like rea- react and it lands differently for different people, you know, so has it brought you a sense of freedom or relief? Yeah, as soon as I could label it, I was like. Yeah, cool. Great. Yeah. I'm good with that yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's got a label to it. It's something. Here it lives. <laughs> and now I can move forward with that knowledge, you know. I can adapt what I do with that knowledge now. Ha- not having the knowledge was the hardest part. Not knowing what was going on in my body, in my mind, when I was having, like, these reactions to things, especially with the PTSD, you know. I was just very much like, I come with baggage kind of thing. Like, Tom would always be like, oh, you know having another meltdown kind of thing and it's yeah, just, yeah yeah well you knew this when you met me <laughs> like I come with baggage <laughs> but no uh, it turns out it was I was having a PTSD reaction and mm-hmm. um now that I know that I can understand it more and I can manage it better you know they're mm-hmm. still going to happen they're not going to go away but at least I know what it is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and for me being able to name the, th- the things like this for me it brings such a sense of um self-compassion like I'm mm-hmm. like oh it's not why am I getting angry at this thing it's like oh that's why I'm getting angry why wouldn't yeah. I get angry at that thing why wouldn't I crumble when I see that episode like why wouldn't I this makes yeah so much sense I've just been getting angry at myself like I'm a child or something doing something wrong mm-hmm. and it's like oh, yeah, I'm going to have so much compassion for myself because now I can be curious about it rather than judgmental and, like, inquisitive and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was really mad at myself when I had that, like, succession breakdown 
And then mm. like two weeks later, Broden texted me and was like, hey, I just watched that episode of Succession. That must have been really hard for you. I don't even think I told him about my reaction to it. He just messaged me and it was just really nice and comforting. And I really appreciated it because I was like, yeah, it was really, <laughs> it was really hard. And the fact yeah. that someone else saw that, I just mm. thought was, yeah, it was just really validating. And mm. I looked at it like, that's how I should have looked at it towards myself, you know. Hey, that must have been really hard for you. Not, hey, you're a fucking idiot. Go control your emotions. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> Which mean, is how I'm, I did feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I would never say that. Yeah, I would never say that to someone else going through no. it. No. You, you just do it to yourself. <laughs> I know. That's the, le- that's the thing. Like, I get frustrated with my therapist. I always say, like, once I learn the thing, why don't I stop the behavior? Like, I know that I should treat myself like a best friend. I know <laughs> that I should, like, treat myself how I treat my loved ones. So why am I not doing it yet? I get so mm. impatient with, like, the behavior catching up with the learning. But that episode, actually, I've been experiencing, I've been struggling with some fresh grief lately of of a different kind. But I actually, I might even tear up. I haven't gone back. I can't continue. That was the last episode I watched. <laughs> of succession and I'm like I'm with you like I it, I can't imagine it's much more directly related to your grief than than mine I don't even know if I finished the episode I definitely got far in because I, I saw all the reactions and oh no I did I did finish that episode I haven't gone back I haven't finished the season I don't know if I will maybe I will with maybe my therapist and I will watch it over zoom together <laughs> and I'll have her there with me but I I think it is like such an understanding response that you had I would have guessed it would be a response like I think it makes so much sense but like you said the self-compassion is a lot harder to have than the compassion for others and these are just like more things that you are now like demonstrating for your daughter again like you're gonna have this understanding you're gonna have this self-compassion you're gonna have this like hey I learned this about myself and now I'm doing things to support myself and she's just gonna have all that observational learning from seeing you treat yourself that way and then she's gonna learn so yeah, I'm sure yeah. she'll be fucked up in a different way, but at least not in those ways. <laughs> but at least she'll see. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But at least she'll be like, oh, okay, I got to figure out what the yeah. fuck up way is. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, got <laughs> Let's label the fuck up. I learned that from mom. Let's label the fuck up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, oh, I don't want this to end. To close up with you or to close up, to close out. Is it close up or close mm, out? Close, closing out? Yeah. Closing out. Closing out. Yeah, 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 yeah. The ING actually really helped me. Okay. The, um, to close out today, it did. It really did. To close out with you today, I, okay, so I have heard you say, and again, this was a while ago. I think this was the podcast. It might have been in talking, just speaking with you, but you've said that you are a TV person, not a movie person. So close out today. <laughs> I yeah. want to ask you, what is the last movie you watched that you loved? And what's a series that you're like, everybody has to check out right now. And the last movie can literally be like, you were a child and you watched like Cinderella. You're like, that was the last movie I saw that I love because I don't like movies. What's the last movie you watched you loved and a series that you're like, everyone has to watch right now. Okay, movie. Mm. And I'm going to say this one because I think it is a classic. Mm. And I think our generation is probably very aware of it, even though it might be on the cusp of like age wise. Definitely the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Uh, recently oh. just rewatched that with my daughter <laughs> who is obsessed. Just trying to wean her off the baby shark realm oh, and yeah, put yeah, her yeah. in a different yeah, yeah. underwater annoying character <laughs> Yeah, keep space. her in the sea. Keep yeah, her in the so ocean. Re- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> recently yeah. rewatched the SpongeBob movie uh, 20 <laughs> times in a row and I can say it holds up. It's 
pretty fun still. Do you still Goofy like it or is this like Stockholm Syndrome? Is this like you've watched um, it so many times? Yeah. Okay, great, it's great, a great. A little bit of both. Yeah. Okay, I love that. Um, <laughs> I was not Goofy expecting is that. a banger. I, I stand by it. Um, definitely uh, go check out the SpongeBob SquarePants movie if you haven't already seen it. It's on Netflix and Stan. I don't understand kids' distribution rights either. Uh, it's in multiple yeah, yeah. platforms in the kids' yeah. space in Australia. Um, you could probably watch it anywhere. So definitely yeah. the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Um, uh, also, it had a sequel called SpongeBob uh, Fish Out of Water or Sponge Out of Water. That would make more sense. Oh, probably Sponge um, Out of Water. That's a great yeah. name. And they okay. did like a 3D version and I had never seen that before. So that's fun too. It's got Matt Berry in it, I think, as one of the voices, which is <laughs> cool. Uh, the first one has the Hoff in it. And then also Antonio oh. Banderas in the second one. So, yeah. What? Who? <laughs> yeah, a little huge. fish? Who is Antonio <laughs> No, he playing? plays the pirate. You know how at the start oh. it goes, it's like the pirate sings the song. Ah, matey. Yeah, he plays totally. like a, a real life version of the pirate. So... Yeah, oh, definitely the SpongeBob great. franchise. All right, that's um, what I'm checking out this weekend. Shows. Yeah, TV yeah, shows. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> apart from like the god tier TV that's coming out of HBO at the moment with like mm. Succession and Last of Us and all of those amazing series, probably two. No, the better one is probably Blue Lights. It's a police procedural drama that I've just been watching. Um, really, really well written, really gripping, but not in like a hooky way, just gripping because it's very, very good. Um, and the writing is brilliant. So, yeah, that's what I've been recently watching. It just came out this year. It's on SBS in Australia, but I don't know where you would be able to get it in Canada. And then I just, I really, I'm a sucker for like a good kind of like sci-fi series. And I think Apple are doing really well with those at the moment. Like I loved Foundation. Um, season two has just come out. So excited for that. But I really enjoyed Silo. I think I said the word siloed like 10 <laughs> times did. during yeah, this podcast. Yeah, yeah. So I need to close it out with like a series <laughs> called Silo. I really just liked it. It's got Rebecca Ferguson in it. I think that's, yeah, she's fantastic. She's in I think Dune. Just, is she the one in Dune? Yeah. Yes. Oh. They were just, um, they'd probably halt production at the moment um, because they were in the middle of shooting the second season. The first season's just finished. And um, I couldn't wait. So I, bought the books and I'm reading them at the moment and I'm really enjoying Are them. they good? We I just my partner and I just finished the series. We loved it. Actually, mm. the one of the previous podcast episodes, we were talking about like quotes and I brought up a quote that one of the characters said when she is like, okay, spoiler alert people, fast forward like 15 seconds. Harry Harriet, I think. I forget what her name is, who has agoraphobia and she's like bring mm. walking herself out and I actually said in response to struggling with this grief lately she said something and it hit my heart where she said like you're not dying it just feels like you are and I've been saying that to myself when I've just been like just feeling like I'm crumbling I'm like you're not dying it just feels like you are and it has brought me such comfort and I loved that show loved we were so pissed mm. at the end of the pilot because we're like how long do we have to wait to find out but it's so brilliantly acted it looks amazing the writing okay so how is the book should I buy the book yeah well when I because I'm a, you know, I'll watch a show and then I'll jump on the subreddit and I'll, I'll sit there for hours and just be like, all right, what does everyone else think? And like, what have I missed? And what, you know, connections and theories does everyone have? Like, I love being part of the community um, that loves a show as well as watching a show. Um, so, you know, I jumped on the like silo subreddit and was reading through all the comments and um, I there was a delineation between like the threads for the people who had read the books and then a thread for the people that hadn't read the books oh. and so I was naturally on the ones that hadn't read the books because I didn't want any spoilers and then I was like 
yeah, I'll just jump over and just have a little quick look and see what the people <laughs> who had with the book said. Yeah, yeah. just to because I was curious to see like if they were happy with the adaptation. Because um, I'm also very curious to see how books have been ad- adapted to TV. Like I love trying to get that understanding of like mm-hmm. what they cut out and what they put in and how they changed mm-hmm. it for a different audience. Well, naturally too with series that you have pitched and are, I'm exactly. like, yeah, that makes total sense. You're doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so they were really happy with it. They were like, love the book adaptation to TV. You know, like it's authentic to the original. And I was like, great, well, I should go read them. And then I read that the entire first season is just the first half of the first book of three. So I was like, oh, okay, if there's so much more of this, then I want to read it now because I'm very, I'm very invested in this story. I want to know what else is going on in this world. I want to know, you know, <laughs> yeah. what's happened in the other ones, you know. So when when I found out that there was so much more story to cover, I was like, yeah, i got to read them because uh, otherwise I'm going to have to wait like five years to finish and close off this story, which I'm, I'm too impatient for. So No, me too. Yeah. And often too, like if they get a second season, well, not, all, not always, but sometimes they might delineate a little bit more from the books. Like, so, mm. oh yeah, there's two and a half books to read that have nothing to do with the show yet. So exactly. And like. Yeah, considering all the strikes at the moment, I think TV is going to really, uh, yeah, yeah, have a few issues. Yeah, yeah, books um, are making a comeback. <laughs> mm. That's what it is right now. Yeah, so cool. that's what I'm watching at the moment. <laughs> well, maybe I'll maybe I'll um, start a little book club with you, and I'll email you as I'm reading the Silo book, and be Please. like, "Please, I would love someone to talk to about it because okay. no one I know is reading them as well now." So, oh, definitely. I'm gonna literally when we hang when we end this, I'm gonna order the first book to deliver yeah. to my house and I will let you know when it's in and I'll be like where are you at I'll let you know when I'm there because I Great. I love like a, a po- like post-apocalyptic sci-fi-ish it's not really sci-fi mm. is it yeah I I don't know maybe I maybe know. who knows well definitely I love a, that genre yeah, yeah that mm. to dive into so any of like the the hunger games or divergent or well, there was Oh, I can't remember. There was another one, like the boy with the knife. Anyway, any of those stories where it's like a society that has formed after some sort of catastrophic destruction in some way. And now there's new rules. And why is it this way? And I'm like, ooh, show me alternate world. So, okay, Mm -hmm. cool. Well, (laughs) let's start a book club. Let's do it. Little silo book club. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much, Georgia. This was such a pleasure. Like it really, it was so wonderful. And we don't often get, well, we never get just like, a time to just sit and chat about things and get to know you better. So it's been truly a pleasure. I really value this time with you. It's been really wonderful. So thank you for coming on. No, thank you. I really, really enjoyed it. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Liquid Courage podcast. If you like what you heard and you're looking to support the show, here's a few ways you can help. You can leave the show a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or you can follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at Liquid Courage Podcast. Or, and best of all, you can tell a friend about the show. Tell a family member, tell a coworker, post about your favorite episode online, spread the word. That really is the best way to help support the show and help it grow. <laughs> Did I just rhyme? Okay, until the next episode, cheers. <laughs>